0: Well, would you bow with me in prayer, and let's uh, continue to pray for Kyle and Amy that they have a good trip, enjoyable time together, and relaxation, and uh, I'm sure that they're doing that right now. I think the crews left yesterday morning or afternoon or sometime, so let's pray for their safety. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be in your house today, Lord. We pray, Father, that you'll just speak to us through your word, help us to to look beyond the person standing here, Lord. And Father, use this broken and busted vessel for you and for your glory. Pray, Father, you continue to be our pastor and his wife and keep them safe as they travel. Bring them back to us next week, refreshed and continuing to ready to be able to serve you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a, a study that was done. It's amazing the things we believe. It was done in 1892, and it was written in the uh, prestigious medical record of the time. And in that journal, they did a study, and they proved in that journal, they wrote that women were dumber than men. Now, here's why they gave, But what they based that on. They took 187 high school students, and they began to ask them different questions about their health. And they found that 132 out of the 187 high school girls uh, had chronic headaches on a regular basis. And based on that study, the doctor said that uh, as a result that women should not go beyond high school into college because they could not handle the rigors of a college education. And based on that, they said that women were not as smart as men. Now, I've been married for 36 years now, and I can tell you that is definitely not true. Uh, But it's amazing what we believe. And we look at something like that and think, how can they believe that? Well, sometimes you'll hear someone say something, hey, you know what? I read something today on the what? Internet. And if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. But yet we will believe those things and we'll take it as truth and as gospel. Uh, What's amazing to me, though, as Christians, is that we don't take God at his word. And I want us to look at the passage of Scripture today. I hope that will kind of uh, reiterate that to you and to me. So if you would, open your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to look at a particular miracle here that Jesus did. John chapter 4, and we're going to be reading from verse 43 down to 49 today, and, but I want you to notice, first of all, the setting of the miracle that takes place and who all is there. It says in verse 43 through 45, "...after two days he," that means Jesus, "...left there for Galilee, and Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country." And when they had entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, for they also had gone to the festival. And he went again to Cana of Galilee, where he turned the water into, into wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. So the setting of it tells us a couple of things that we need to know. First of all, look in the first part of verse 46, it says, 43, it says, after Two days he left there for Galilee. Now, I want you to take that verse, if you wouldn't, just kind of stick it in your pocket for later. We'll come back to that. And so they had been in Galilee and left two days from somewhere and came to King of Galilee, where Jesus had previously turned the water into wine. And other people were there, other Jews that were there were following him and watching the miracles that he did. And so Jesus was there, his disciples were there. There were also those that were looking for a miracle to be performed. They were there. And then finally, there was a royal official there. The Bible uh, actually, the word that's used there is literally king's man. It is, it is someone that was in King, possibly King Herod's court. We don't really know who for sure it is. The Bible doesn't specifically tell us his name. Uh, some of us believe it could have been. Uh, Cusa, uh, uh, who was one of those, uh, his wife later followed Jesus, is mentioned in Luke chapter 8. Another one, there's also another uh, individual in Herod's court that is mentioned in Ephesians as well as a believer, and it could have been him. We don't really know. All we know is that he was in a position of high authority and wealth, and yet he turns to Jesus for the answer. You know, it reminds me so much that, It's not until a person really sees their need for the Lord Jesus Christ that they turn to him. I remember there was a friend of mine that uh, I was sharing my faith with on a number of occasions. And uh, we would go out and we'd play tennis together. We'd golf together. We'd go to ball games together. We did all kinds of things. And so much that I witnessed to him so many times that it got to the point where I'd look at him and just look at him and just say, well, are you ready? And he knew what that meant. He knew I was asking him if he was ready to give his life to Christ. And I remember one occasion he said to me, he said, you know, he said, here's the problem I have with Christianity. The problem I have with Christianity is that you feel like you've got to have a crutch in life. And I told him, I said, well, Jim, I said, that's not true. (laughs) I don't need a crutch. I need life support. Listen, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And without realizing that, you're not going to come to faith in Christ. And if you're here today and you're sitting here and believing that, you know, you've got, you've got this life under control and you've got everything all together and that, you know, if you want to uh, live your life by good works and good deeds, you're going to get to heaven. I want you to understand you're not ready to meet Christ because you don't understand that you need life support. You need Jesus more than anything. And this royal official had come to the point where he didn't turn to Herod for help. He didn't turn to others for help. He turned to Jesus because he had heard this man could work miracles. And so that's the kind of the setting that takes place in the miracle. Now, I want you to kind of look at the request of the miracle that happens in the next verses. Look at verse 46 and following. It says, He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. Well, the official makes a request. He turns to Jesus, and the Bible says he he pleaded with him to come down and heal his son. Matter of fact, it wasn't just one time that he said that. Matter of fact, in verse 49, again, he says the words he said sir the official said to him come down before my boy dies in verse 47 when it says he pleaded with Jesus that that word is in the imperfect tense which means he did it not once he did it not twice but he did it again and again and again he just realized his son was so sick that the only way he was going to be healed was if Jesus would come to him and bring healing to his body but there's a little problem With this request. This man is telling Jesus how to heal his son. Did you notice that? He says, Come down to Capernaum, which was about 15 miles away from where he was, and heal my son before he dies. And Jesus makes an interesting response to him. Notice what he he says to him in verse uh, 48. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, before we're too hard on this man, we need to understand something. How often I, do you and I tell Jesus what we want him to do in our lives? I mean, we know he'll work. This man obviously believed Jesus would work. He believed Jesus would heal his son because he would heard stories of Jesus healing his son uh healing individuals and so he knew without a doubt if this man would come down and heal his son it would be okay but but yet so often we'll do the same thing to jesus we'll kind of kind of try to put him in a box and say lord you know i i gotta have this and i gotta have that and i gotta do it this way and i gotta do it that way it's got to be done this way so lord just just take care of it it'll be all right We're kind of in a situation like that in our life right now as we're looking between jobs, wondering where God's going to put us, where God's going to take us, and if he's going to leave us in Savannah, if he's going to move us somewhere else. I'm trying to be very careful not to tell what God to do and not to limit what God to do and not put God in a box. And you and I, all of us face these scenarios in life that that we have where, where we face those situations where we want to tell God, what to do and how to do it. Oh, we believe he's going to do it, and we believe he's going to work, and we believe he can change things. But yet, we sometimes feel like we got to get in the mix and kind of, kind of help God out and say, God, you know, I, you don't understand my situation, Lord. So let me kind of clue you in on some things, and then maybe you'll see things my way. And that's what this royal official was doing, and that's what the people were doing. But they forgot something very important. And that is, God works in the way he desires to work, and we're just to trust his word. You remember what I told you earlier about taking that verse of Scripture in the first part of the verse that said he was somewhere for two days and put it in your pocket? Well, let's take it out, because I want you to see where he was and what happened there. Go back to a previous verses of Scripture here to, to verse 39. This, of course, is the story of the woman at the well, and she comes to Jesus, and She ends up being there, and and, uh, Jesus says to her uh, that he's the Messiah. And so she goes off in verse 39, and she tells them that, that they could see all that he's ever done. Look at verse 39. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And and many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, but, but since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. You see, he was there, that woman believed his word, the other Samaritans believed his word. There's not any mention at all anywhere in the scriptures that he did miracles. Did you notice what it said that he did? It said many more believe, they believe because we have heard ourselves. All he did as far as we know, as far as scripture gives us indication, is that he just taught them. He just spoke to them. And remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the Samaritans. He's speaking to the ones that that the Jews hated. They were considered half-breeds. And here they were, they were believing in what Jesus had to say about himself just because he said those words. And then he comes to Galilee. And this man says, come down so that my, servant can be, my son can be healed. And what does Jesus do? He makes a statement. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. (laughs) How often (laughs) in life do we do the same thing with God? Where we said, if God did this for this person, then why can't God do this for me? If God took care of this problem for this Christian then why doesn't God take this care of this problem for me as well? You see, what we need to understand is that God doesn't want us to trust him for what he can do for us. God wants us to trust him for who he is and to believe in his word and to take him at his word and to trust him at his word, no matter what happens in life. You see, the most important thing that the Lord desires out of you is your relationship to Him. That's number one. Above everything else, above all the blessings and all the good things you and I might want in life, that is not what God's all about. God is all about our relationship with Him. He's all about us understanding who he is and how much he loves us and how much the cross meant whenever Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again from the grave. And to have that daily conversation with us every day uh, on a regular basis, that relationship's number one. Can I ask you a question to think about this morning? Suppose you were to walk out this door and as you uh, left the church today, all you had the rest of your life was nothing but heartache and misery. I mean, you walk out the door and you go home and you open up the door to your house and all of a sudden it's like 90 degrees in the house. Air conditioning's blown. So you get the air conditioner fixed and it costs you about $5,000 for a new unit. And then you walk out, walk out the door and you go to work and you're starting to go to work and you're driving your car to work and, and you're sitting there thinking, man, how I love my car. It drives so smooth and it's really doing well. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in, they sideswipe you and they just ruin your car. And then you find out the person that sideswiped you, guess what? They didn't have insurance, so they can't have their insurance company pay for your car. And so you call your insurance company, and your insurance company says, Well, sure, we'll pay for it, but you got a deductible to meet, so you got to pay that deductible. And so then you go off, and you go to work, and you come home, and you walk in the door, and your spouse looks at you and says, You're not going to believe this, but our son has the flu, and it is a really serious flu, and we're going to have to take him to the doctor. And, oh, by the way, I want to remind you, we haven't met our deductible or the insurance company today, so we got to pay more money out to go take him to the doctor. And all of a sudden, week after week, day after day, it just seems like month after month, every time you turn around, that problems are just happening, things are not going your way. What would that do to your faith? You say, well, Steve, that, that's, God wouldn't allow something like that to happen. Look back at the book of Job <laughs> and just read that first chapter. And here was a man that was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. And God allowed certain things to happen to him again and again and again. And, of course, you remember, you know the story and you know the words he spoke when he said those words. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. You see, God is, is so interested in our lives that the number one thing that is important to us is our relationship to him. But notice what Jesus does. Nevertheless, Jesus went ahead and granted his request to heal the son. But notice how Jesus did it. He does it on his terms. Look at verse 50. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. Now, <laughs> he could have possibly gotten there the same day, maybe. But read on. It says the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. And while he was still going down, his servants met him, saying that his boy was alive. And he asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And they answered the Answered, uh, And the father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. And so he himself believed in all along with his whole household. You see, the official was forced with a decision. Jesus looked at him and said, okay, I'm going to heal your son, but go your way. Your son lives. Now remember... Capernaum was about 15 miles away from Galilee. It was one in the afternoon based on what we read in the scripture here as to when his son was healed. Now I don't know about you but if my son was at the point of death and it was at one o'clock in the afternoon and Jesus told me my son lived I would have taken off right then and probably headed back as quick as I could to get to Capernaum to, to just kind of see for myself that he was alive. But From what we understand here, the Bible says he believed Jesus so much. He didn't go straight home, apparently. I mean, he could have easily made it home. I don't know about you, but from 1 o'clock in the afternoon uh, until about 6 or 7 at night, I think I could walk a good 15 miles. Uh, I walk about 2 miles a day, and it takes me about 30 minutes or so to walk that when I'm walking at a pretty brisk pace. Uh, And I imagine I could do even faster than that, if I knew I had a son that was sick and I wanted to kind of see how he was doing. More than likely, because this man was a royal official, he probably had a camel or a horse or a chariot. So he probably wasn't even walking. But but he believed he took Jesus' word. And what is interesting here is is Jesus said, I'm going to heal him, but nobody's going to see this. You're not going to see it till you get home. My disciples are not going to see that it happen. These people here, the Jews that are dying to see a miracle, they're not going to see it happen. Everybody around me is just going to have to take my word that I did what I said I would do. Listen, we need to remember Jesus wants us to trust him and take him at his very word at what he says. We have a book called the Bible that has 66 different books in it all the books from cover to cover, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, it tells the story of redemption. It tells the story of God's love. It tells so much about how he wants us to live our life and to trust him and to realize that the God of the universe, the God that that just flung the stars into space at just a spoken word, that he created everything that was there by just speaking a word except for man. And that yet with man, he, he took the time to Breathe in him the breath of life, making him from the dust of the earth. And the same God that speaks the word of God into existence and has speak it, spoken the words to us through the prophets. When we read these words, we're not reading just pages on in a book, but this is God's infallible, inerrant word, and we can trust it as if God were standing in front of us and reading it out to us Himself. That's how valuable this book is to us. And, and so when we're down and discouraged we need to take God's word and remember it where he tells us that in Hebrews 13 I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Whenever we sin against God and fall short as we all will do. We need to remember 1 John 1 9 where he says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if that's not enough right after that, he says, and there we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Whenever we doubt and have our doubts, even as believers that we all do, we need to remember the words from Second Timothy two thirteen that says, "If we are faithless, he remains faithful; he cannot deny himself." Whenever we question his love for us, we need to think about. My favorite verse in the scripture, Romans 8, 38 to 39, it says, For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But so often, when we go into those difficult times, we... Isn't this sometimes the last book we pick up? Sometimes we'd rather just kind of forget about life and grab that TV remote and turn it on. Kind of do a little binge watching on Netflix. Or we might have that friend that likes to bend the ear, let us bend their ear, and we'll pick up the phone. And call them say, oh, well, i got to talk to you about my day. Now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's nothing wrong with talking to a friend that will listen and pray with you. We all need that in our lives. There's people I have that I can call and talk to whenever I'm going through difficulties. It helps kind of keep me on the straight and narrow. But hear me. The first one you and I need to turn to is the very one who gave his life's blood on the cross. Who forgives us of all of our iniquities. The one who loves us more than even the best person in our life that loves us. And turn to his word. And read the scriptures. And allow God to speak to your heart. Can I tell you, this book, you'll never grow tired of it when you read it and you study it and you learn from it. Can I tell you, every day for years I've been reading from the Psalms and the Proverbs. And can I tell you that every day I will read a Psalm I have read a hundred times. And all of a sudden a verse will just jump out into my heart where God is speaking to me and saying, Listen to me. And yet so often it's the last book we pick up. He's the last one we turn to. When he reminds us that, that we have his Holy Spirit in our hearts and we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. And know that he hears every word that we speak. But did you notice the progression of what happened with the gentleman here? Verse fifty says: First of all, he believed that if Jesus would come to his son, his son would be healed. But then he believed what Jesus said that if he it, that he spoke the word and his son was healed. But then finally, look at verse fifty three again. What it says: The father realized it was the very hour when Jesus told him, "Your son will live." So he himself believed along with his whole household. First, he believed if Jesus could get there, he would heal him. Second, he believed his word that he spoke, they would heal him. Finally, this man and his entire household believed in Jesus. Now, I, I don't know how John heard about this. Maybe he heard it from this man himself later in life. We don't know that. All we know is this is true, and this word is true, and what he said about this man is true, and this man believed in Jesus, and he gave his, put his trust and his faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that he was who he claimed to be, just like the Samaritans knew from the spoken word that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I don't know what you and I are going to face when we leave this place, but we're going to face things. And the question is, what will we do when that happens? In 1931, for 10 years, every single graduate of the Japanese Naval Academy took a final exam. And there was a question that was on that final exam for every cadet. And here was the question. If you were to conduct a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, how would you do it? For 10 years, from 1931 to 1941, that question was asked of every cadet. Now, we don't know all the answers that were given. We don't even know <laughs> whether or not they took some of those answers when they attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, December 7th, to be able to, 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 be able to carry out that attack. We don't know that. But all we know is they were plotting and they were thinking and they were strategizing and trying to figure out what was the best way that they could t- attack the Americans whenever the time came. You know, someone that is, very, is watching your life and he's watching my life every day, and that's the enemies of hell themselves, Satan, our enemy. And he's looking to see how he can attack your life. He's looking to see how he can attack my life. There are things that are going to come that you don't expect. But here's the question. What are you going to do when it happens? Are you going to turn to the word of God and take Jesus at his word? Believe him. Trust in him. No matter what comes your way. There's an old song that I love to listen to from time to time. The artist, you can go home and and, uh, pull it up on the internet. It's by a lady by the name of Pam Thumb. And the name of the song is, Life is Hard, But God is Good. And I want you to know that is so true. (laughs) My kids used to tell me when we were growing up, we would do things and we would say things and and, uh, they would get in trouble with something and they would look at me and they would say those infamous words, Dad, that's just not fair. And I would say back to them, well, sweetheart, life is not fair. And you and I sometimes we want to look at God and say, God, uh, God, it's just not fair. It just doesn't seem right. But yet God just keeps reminding us, trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, you, you don't have that trust. <laughs> you can't turn to God and get help. Because it's not going to happen. Because you're not His child. You don't belong to Him. You haven't made that step of faith in your life where you realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and, and rose again from the grave. And, and you've surrendered your heart and your life to Him. And I want to encourage you today as we sing and have our invitation in just a moment, that you come and you just come to the altar and just give your life to Christ. That's the most important thing you can do. Maybe you're here today and you, you have, you've definitely received Christ, you know him. But there's been some things you haven't really laid, laid out to him and laid to the altar for him and trusted him with. And I just encourage you, if the Holy Spirit's encouraging you and leading you to do that, that you do that. You come to the altar and you pray and you talk to the, talk to the one who knows. You more better than anyone else. Talk to your Abba Father. As we stand and heads are bowed and the music's played, would you come as God directs this morning?